Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Uh, welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. Via Zoom, once again, actually got together the last time that we were out, and that, that had been so long, but it felt good, didn't it? Yes, it was nice uh, to be back together as a as a trio in person. Right. Uh, yeah, and it was local for a change. We didn't have to drive all the way to Toronto or you know mm-hmm. any, any other godforsaken place, but... <laughs> Yeah. It was not, it was nice, but we're 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 back on track. Uh, hopefully, we you know it was a, a quiet summer for all of us, as we mm-hmm. said. But but that's just that's just the way it is, especially with podcasts and life and people yep. going on vacation and everything else. And uh, this is our hobby, right? It's not like we're doing this for a living, so we're not making any money off of it. So what? It's the passion. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but uh, I've got a lot of good. Good guests lined up. Uh, I've got some good connections now. So we're going to have a lot of authors, a lot of experienced authors on the show. And we have one today that I'm going to introduce and say welcome to Anna Maria Manello, all the way from the tropical beaches of Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening. Anna Maria, thank you for joining us on the Phantom Faction podcast. Uh, You are uh, an author of several books. Um, one that we're going to focus on specifically is called Portal, uh, a lifetime of paranormal experiences. Now, are these experiences that we're going to talk about, are these your personal experiences or ones that you've collected from other people or, or a combination of both? Well, that's a long-winded uh, answer. So if you have the time, I, I certainly can elaborate on that. Let's have uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, worked, uh, well volunteered as a UFO investigator for MUFON Uh, back in my salad days. That was back in 2008. Uh, The way this book evolved was I was actually born and raised in a country that had a lot of, you name it, we had cryptids, we had uh, flying, whatever they were. Um, We had demonic infestations. We also had Bigfoot, believe it or not. Uh, in the tropical forests of the Philippines. Um, So coming with that background, I certainly had a lot to bring to MUFON. Uh, I was very intrigued, very interested in what was going on in in that particular state. Well, this state that I live in right now, I moved actually to Connecticut from the Philippines. Um, And what happened was uh, I happened upon a book, a training manual, uh, from MUFON. Uh, it was a friend of a friend of my husband's. Uh, we were having dinner with them and there was this book. It was a binder. So I happened to be leafing through it right after dinner. And I asked the gentleman, I said, what, what is this? He says, it's a training manual for the mutual UFO network. So since I was really at the time, very interested, and I still am, uh, I looked through the book. I ordered the book, found myself studying it. And next thing you know, I, took the exam and I passed it. And um, that was actually right in April of 2008 when the Bucks County flap began. So for the audience who might not be familiar to that, a flap is a 
something that happens probably every decade or so. And what it means is you have tons of UFOs, sightings and encounters that are probably over 700% normal for the area. And we're talking just Bucks County itself that was getting all these kinds of sightings almost on a nightly basis. So at the time, Bucks County only had one or two investigators, believe it or not. So they were not prepared. Uh, so when I passed the test, it was baptism by fire. There was only one other gentleman that jumped in with me. And we had the entire territory of Bucks here in Pennsylvania, which is pretty sizable. Um, from there, you know, we just had one case after another. We ended up uh, with uh, some kind of pilot TV uh, show. We were in one of three episodes and the most prominent cases came on air uh, right in time for Thanksgiving, uh, right in time for my job to see it. I worked in a public school and that was not very, uh, <clears throat> not good timing. Uh, you know, public schools tend to be pretty conservative. Mm -hmm. So what happened with that is I collected a lot of cases that actually were never reported by people. Uh, for one reason or another, people were concerned about, you know, how their office was going to respond, how friends were going to respond. So they would call me and tell me, uh, you know, about things that were happening around them and I would investigate it, but they don't want to report it formally to the MUFON site. During that time frame, I was also traveling. Now, we're going through a period of years here. And the book actually covers from 1962 to about, I would say, at the time of the writing of the book, it was approximately 2016. It was published first time 2017. The book you have in your hand is actually the second edition uh, from Beyond the Fray Publishing. So we're talking 1962 to about maybe 2010. So it's an anthology of all the experiences of different people uh, as told to me firsthand. And in some cases, because I was really little in 62, um, told to relatives of mine, told to neighbors of mine. So it goes from you know hauntings in the Philippines uh, all the way to the UFO encounters that happened in 2008 all the way to 2010. So that's what that portal is about. We'll start in the Philippines. Uh, how is the paranormal looked at down there? Is it a lot of superstition? Uh, are there actual paranormal groups that go out looking for spirits, uh, looking for cryptids, that sort of thing? Or is that kind of like a taboo type of thing and people stay away from it? I, I think that the older generation, from what I could recall, uh, and it's been a while since I've been back there. I think the last visit I had was probably 2012, uh, probably even earlier than that. The older generation tends to be very conservative, as, as they would be here in the United States. Um, the interpretation of anything that they see that is even slightly dark, uh, is interpreted religiously as something that's demonic. Um, in 1962, that was the case. Uh, and there are churches that actually are still well-versed, and, and they still are, I believe to this day, uh, well-versed in exorcisms. Um, they believe in people um, casting spells on one another. Hmm. 
there's all kinds of prayers and incantations out uh, in the sticks in the provinces uh, that people believe could work against, you know, getting rid of these infestations or demonic influences. Um, I alluded earlier to Bigfoot, uh, and, and there's actually a word in the Philippines for Bigfoot, but uh, Batan Utan. It's not talked about very often. Um, I thought I you were going to say, I thought you were going to say American tourists. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I mean, there's supposed to be like a, a few organizations there, but I, I don't know that there is a formal one for Bigfoot. There's a few for UFOs. Uh, and at one point, uh, I know that they were on Facebook and they were pretty visible and they wanted membership with MUFON or at least some kind of like recognition from MUFON. Uh, but they're a pretty big organization from what I understand over there. And they do investigations. They train their people, you know, and there's all kinds of sightings. I mean, to what extent are there abductions? That I couldn't answer for you. Is the, uh, is the Filipino version of Sasquatch, does he look the same as ours or is it different? I've never seen a photo. You know how elusive they are. Uh, they're mm -hmm. probably even more elusive over there. But there were illustrations way back. And, and believe it or not, Dan, this is how I caught on to this. I think I was probably in elementary school when I first heard of Bigfoot. And it was through a cartoon, a comic book. And that's how I was introduced to the idea of, of giants. Um, Later on, I was told that it was like folklore. And, you know, sometimes folklore has a grain of truth. Uh, this creature that they talk about um, tends to show up in very remote areas of the tropical forests, way up north where there's hardly anybody there. Mm -hmm. um, and recently, you know, my understanding is people do a lot of hiking now in the mountains, whereas before they, you know, they don't want to stray they're afraid of snakes, et cetera. Now they're becoming more and more courageous. So they actually go on hiking trips and they find some very strange things out there. Some are disembodied, obviously, from World War II. Mm -hmm. You're sure it's not uh, one of those Japanese soldiers that still thinks the war is still on? <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. That's, that to me, it's so strange. I, uh, <laughs> that's a, the truth is stranger than fiction yeah, sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Anna Maria, you've traveled all over the world. You've been to uh, over 27 different countries yeah. um, looking for people's tales of the paranormal. Well, I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm looking for them. They, they find me. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the reason why I primarily travel is because we love to travel. Um, you know, I, I started that right out of high school uh, and then went from there at, right after graduation from college. Um you know, way back in the day, of course, we were on a shoestring budget. I was just basically a student. So I would join these cheap tours. But it went on from there and evolved to until the point when I was married to going every summer to a foreign country, to a place I've never been to before. And because I've had all these uh, experiences and stories from people, you know, people who are on tour, tend to be not just curious about the country that they're in, they also look for the familiar. So they look for people to talk to at dinner time when they're done the walking and the touring and looking at these strange, they wanna share their experiences with someone. And then they're also curious where you're from. 
So it's kind of like a campfire type of conversation where you're sitting there after dinner and maybe you're drinking coffee or maybe something heavier than that. And the, the talk starts to flow. And in some cases, some people have maybe too much wine and they start <laughs> to ask questions like, what do you do for a living? And so on. And then it strays to, you know, what do you do for fun, et cetera, et cetera. What are your interests? And that's how these stories come about. There's a case where we were actually, I'm trying to remember the country now, but there was a couple there who had just been to France. They had a very strange encounter. And when I'm talking about like people, these are just average, regular people. We're not talking people who have a need to be glamorized or to gain the spotlight per se. These are just regular people who basically are pretty successful in their lives. And they just want to tell a story to someone who they don't think is going to maybe judge them or think they're crazy because they caught on. I was telling all these stories and scary stories and strange experiences. They shared their own. Um, and it's part of Portal. As a matter of fact, I think it's like halfway through the book. They stayed at a farmhouse. And they normally take a tour as in, you know, they join a group, they get on a bus every day, you go to a certain destination, you have a guide with you. They kind of got tired of that halfway through. They've been traveling every year. They decided they would do an independent one where they just went and, you know, VRBO or Airbnb and rent something out in the countryside. So the fun begins. So they drive out, they rent this car. I don't know what kind of car it was, but it was a stick from what I understand. They're driving down through the woods. It's later in the evening and they park. They put out their luggage into the, into the house. You know, they're unlocking the door, looking through the kitchen, trying to see what's in there. They decide they're going to get a bite to eat. They get back in the car. They go and look for the closest restaurant in the village. People usually eat late in Europe. They eat like around seven, eight o'clock at night. And you probably know that. Mm -hmm. um, they came back around 11, 1130. And of course, we're talking, this house is situated in the middle of a, a rural area. So there's not many neighbors around them. It's pitch dark. All they have are the headlights of their car. So they park right in front of the farmhouse and they notice that there's a barn few yards off. They get out of the car, you know, they go in through the front door, they get ready to go to bed, they go up up on the upper floor. And as they're preparing for the evening, they notice, well, the wife does, she looks out the window, she says, there's a huge blue light in the barn. So her husband looks, he says, yeah, what, what is that? And, and they're looking at the barn and the entire barn inside is lit up. The door is, a, you know, like barns usually have two doors and they're open like this. And it's both slightly ajar and you could see through the windows of the barn that there is an intense blue light. So they figure, hey, maybe the landlord's getting something. You know, he forgot something, went back there and is rummaging through something. They didn't pay any attention to it. And finally, they shut the light off. And, and, and this light is just really bright out there. So eventually she hears sounds that she can't really interpret. She gets up again. She's restless at this point, and so is the husband. And she looks out the window, and there's something right beneath the window. Now, you have to remember, this is the second floor. And right below them is the kitchen. And she said she thought she saw deer. So he looks out, and he's looking out. 
And there's these things that are standing on their hind legs, but they're deer. How, how tall are these things when they're, when they're on their hind legs? She, she said that they had gone down to the kitchen to see what it was. They were concerned someone was trying to break in. So they went down to the kitchen and what they saw were these tall creatures that went past the kitchen window. It was as if it was trying to reach for the second floor window, but they looked like they were deer standing on their hind legs. Hmm. They got the strangest feeling from it. You know, all the hair was standing on their head at this point. It got very, very, now you picture there's no screens on the windows of these farmhouses. There's really like, if you open the window, open the window, you don't even have the glass. Mm -hmm. Well, the shutters were open. So it was open to the night air because this was a summer, you know, a trip that they took in the summertime. They couldn't hear anything. It was dead silent except for these things that were standing on two legs. But she could swear, and so did he, they looked like deer, and they had a hard time processing what they were seeing. And finally, they decided they would run upstairs, lock the bedroom door, and close the window. Hmm. Um, They stayed up all night trying to figure out if if it would come in. It didn't come in, apparently. And then the next day, they left. And, And they never rented anything in a rural area ever again. Did they say that the deer had horns at all or anything like that? Any other description? The, the only thing that she said was that it looked to her like they were big Bambies. Hmm. It, so almost, imagine... it almost sounds like uh, the Wendigo folklore like we have here in Canada. It's, it looks like an elk almost standing on its hind legs and it has the rack and, and the glowing eyes and everything else. So I don't, did you, did you look into it more? Like do some research to see if this is like an actual uh, thing of folklore in France or a paranormal topic? uh, You had mentioned the Wendigo. I I Googled uh, deer comma UFO comma humanoid. You know, I, I went through like different configurations. Right. Uh, And I saw one particular article that I think was reported how it was seen in another country, not in France, though. Hmm. And they were saying that they were actually humanoid in nature. They appear as deer. And then there was one that alluded to it as possibly a screen memory, like it was supposed to make itself known as if it was something common or harmless. Mm. When in fact it was something else, uh, but but she didn't talk about any dreams or you know the the sense I got from it is where you did you have missing time? Right was the next question I asked, and you know do you have any marks or anything like that? Did you have any dreams of encountering these things again? Did it repeat? Of course they left the next morning, but they haven't had any kind of visions or dreams or missing time. So it, it's a strange case. And both of them concurred that they saw the same thing. I almost wonder if the blue light was like a portal opening and something coming coming out. I, I agree with that. I, I wondered whether there was something that landed close to the farmhouse. Maybe it was holding a lamp. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, And when she said the woods were, you know, like very quiet, the windows were open. Almost similar to a Bigfoot sighting, only this time 
deer, but I'm just like she said, uh, you know, they, they turn themselves into something more common. So it's uh, not recognized as, as much as a scary item. Yeah, it almost sounds like a, it could be like a skinwalker as well, because yeah. they take often take the form of animals as well, like common animals like wolves and uh, mountain lions and elk and things like that as well. So hmm, that's that's interesting. I've never heard of a humanoid deer. They're usually so nice, the deer, except yeah. when they jump in front of your car or something. Yeah, I almost right. creamed one. I almost creamed one two nights ago with my car. <laughs> So there's, um, and I don't know that you want to call this a skinwalker, but have you ever heard of jinn? D-J-I-N-N. That's uh, that's uh, Arabic for demon, is it not? Yes, yes. And when you said skinwalker, I was kind of like making an analogy because I think the skinwalkers tend to also be considered by the American Indians to be also evil or demonic in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. At least that's the impression I got. Well, I don't think I don't think they're cute and cuddly or warm and fuzzy. So, no, I, I would go with the demonic or uh, you know the growly, the nasty that you know <laughs> a lot of a lot of people like to refer to. Uh, you mentioned the gin, and uh, looking at your book, uh, you have a story from Morocco. Yes, yes, that one was a very odd one, and once again, that was a trip that I had taken this time with my husband. Um, and we really weren't collecting information or anything like that. But once again, this was one of those things where this time it was a local guide that told me the story about this. Um, sometimes I'm surprised that people come forward to strangers more so than people they know and tell the strangest stories that, you know, people would say, oh, my gosh, are you gone crazy or something? But I, I guess I must have that kind of face where they just tell you the story. So we were actually resting in Marrakesh. We had a few nights there that were free because we were waiting for a local guide. And the other local guide was trying to hand us off to the next one. And in the process of waiting, he told me a story about a young girl. Uh, And at the time, it was pretty scary, Dan, because uh, he was talking about the oldest university in the Middle East. And it was only, I think, from the hotel, maybe a mere... Three, three, four blocks away. So when he was telling me this, I was getting goosebumps all over because I'm not really per se the kind that goes investigating into haunted houses. Anyway, in this case, he told me that this young girl was a co-ed at the university uh, and all she was doing was going home. She was just exiting. uh, And I don't know if there's a picture in the book. I think there is. It's like a very, very narrow, almost like an alleyway. And at the very end of the alley, you will see a very ancient door. This is a very old building we're talking about. Most of the students exit through there to get out of the building. And they have classes in all times in the evening. They have them early in the morning as well. She was taking an evening class and she walked out. uh, And as she was walking down the hall, she saw what she thought was this black mist that was whirling And it took the form and the shape of, uh, I think, the uh, closest we could think of now that people can relate to is is a dog man. She said it was pretty sizable. It obviously was not a dog. Uh, It had fangs. It had the red eyes. And whatever it was, was very, very malevolent. Uh, She ran back into the building because she was in a very narrow alley in this thing, whatever it was that had taken shape, was blocking her exit. 
out into the street. So she turned around, she was holding her books in her arms, and she went right back into the building. Thank goodness the door wasn't locked. So anyway, she walked back in and started telling people about what this was. And the interpretation they had was that perhaps it was a djinn. Mm. And, and I think the djinn is also a shape shifter, uh, from what I understand. Uh, I'm not that well versed on djinns. I know, um, trying to think of a, a, an author who had passed since then, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Uh, she used to talk about djinns. But this thing, whatever it was, you know, forms from a very black mist. So it's amorphous and then it takes shape. Mm. What it wants to do, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just attracted uh, to certain people and then tries to take energy from them. I don't know. Yeah, Dogman is uh, becoming more and more popular in the cryptid uh, community. You know, you know, hearing more and more sightings. Uh, it's almost taking over, uh, you know, the number one spot from, from Bigfoot these days yeah and uh, yeah. lots lots of them being cited in the u.s canada uh we even had one recently um in uh, an area of toronto called rouge park and oh. which is which is a park a huge park that is frequented by hundreds of people every week you know where people take you know hike, hiking trails and take their dogs for walks and, and everything else and so they're even coming into the uh you know are being seen in the in the huge uh residential areas and and major cities I don't know what to make of the, the dogman phenomena. It seems to be gaining more popularity and the sightings are on the rise for some reason. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because what I've noticed as a trend used to be that you would have to go to remote areas. But increasingly, and I don't know if you've been following the uh, sightings of that winged cryptid in Chicago, the moth, the Mothman. Yeah, the Mothman. I, 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 I mean, we, we could talk about that because the first incident in my book of Portal is something I've alluded to in previous shows as being a Mothman creature. I actually don't know what it is. Uh, and to this day, you know, I puzzle over what it was that my neighborhood saw. It was a neighbor across the street from me who moved and then they encountered it for several months we're talking almost on a nightly basis, but those are remote regions, um, you know, back from my, what I recall in the 60s and even the 70s, you don't normally see something like that unless it's very quiet, perhaps, mm -hmm. not that many people, as if the silence and the isolation encourages them to make contact. Uh, but more and more, like you said, with the dog man, it, now we're looking at residential neighborhoods. In the case of the current Mothman, you're looking at a major metropolis. Yeah, there's been reports where people have come out of uh, the backs of restaurants and bars to smoke in the alley and it's been standing there. Does Who it knows? talk to them? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think there's a lot of talking. I think there's a lot of screaming and running, but I would stop and talk to it. I'd say, listen. <laughs> Come here, yeah. boy. Come here. Yeah, come here. But I'll get you. I'll get you a Scooby snack. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I wish it was as cute as Scooby. <laughs> you just rub his belly, and he'll leave you alone, right? Yeah. With your collection of stories, I mean, throughout the number of years, you must find a lot of commonality between well. Not everything, but say on a UFO story, if they've seen aliens and is there a common theme of what they look like or what they uh, what they are? 
Well, the most common reports I get, uh, and you probably, you know, I used to man the, uh, the star team report board and the incidents that I saw there were mostly, I see a light. And the next question we ask is, you know, looking at the nomenclature, is it a C one, two, three, you know, I mean, how far does it go? Is it just seeing a light or is it less than 500 yards from you? You know, and people will hold up, is it as large as a quarter, large as a dime? But then you have the other extreme, Danny, the one that gets really interesting. And those are the ones where people actually interact with these things. Uh, I've had both. And in most cases, the person uh, is helpless. They didn't invite it, which is different from something. We lost you for a second. I don't know what happened to her audio. There we go. Oh, there we go. (laughs) They don't want you to talk anymore, apparently. (laughs) Yep. My connection is still nice and strong, so. Spirits, they don't want you to, to talk, Anna Maria. <laughs> Once I talk about abductions, this yes. always happens. Is that right? Oh, oh my gosh, that's incredible. <laughs> that is so great. That's really? Great. So, 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 this has happened, so this has happened to you before when you've told these stories? Yeah, I had, I, I'll tell you something, and, and this is the honest truth. I, I'm sure the woman is scratching her head and said, I'm never going to get her in that show again. I was about maybe four or five minutes into a two-hour interview with Connie Willis, and, and she'll remember this, you know, w- when she hears this show. Uh, I was on Coast to Coast, and I was the second half. And you know, Dan, how late that is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I go to bed at nine o'clock, so that. <laughs> I stayed up until midnight, but to make a long story short, about four to five minutes into the show, I'm facing the sunroom and behind me, just a few yards begins a forest. Okay. My backyard, there's a farm on the one side, there's a forest on the other. So we're talking pitch black. And then suddenly I see this, whatever it was, it was lenticular and it, it took me by surprise. And when, when I'm surprised, I start laughing. So it must have come off like I'm joking. Either that or I've lost some marbles. But I, I saw something out there that was, I'm at a loss to explain. And it looked to me like probably less than 500 yards from the window. And this is the honest truth. I'm not joking with you. But every time I talk about these encounters... The close-up variety, not the one where I, oh, I see a light. Something happens to the audio or the visual or both. Maybe they're just trying to help us with a, a more interesting podcast. You know, they're validating, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, maybe they are. I don't know. Maybe. But uh, know? We're, we are no strangers to having things affect the podcast and hearing voices come through the uh, the audio and everything else. So An EVP. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. We get, we get EVPs all the time. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my luck. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember where I was. And I think it was an incident that happened not so far away from here. This happened at the end of, I would say, 2008, towards the close of the Bucks County flap. And it was at a park. And a woman was jogging. She was jogging by herself. Nightfall was approaching. Cars were leaving. Okay, she had just parked. She noticed that, you know, in in Pennsylvania, for the most part, you're told, you know, if if uh, the darkness is coming, you shouldn't be in the park. 
So she parks the car. People are leaving. It is now approaching darkness. And picture this. There is a canal, without giving away where it is, there's a canal on her left-hand side. The car is parked right by the canal, and there is this narrow strip of a, of a road that you can jog on, that people walk on. Mm-hmm. So there's trees over here, and all the way over there, there's a bridge. I won't tell you what's across the bridge because um, I still walk this park. I, I don't walk it alone anymore, but I used to. Mm-hmm. So, um, so she's jogging. She usually does three miles every night. She figures, okay, I'm a little late today, but I'm going to complete this. I'm going to complete this. I'm going to do everything I can to complete it. So she starts jogging. She's jogging. She's jogging. Suddenly she feels something behind her and she jogs to a certain point and then it's time to turn around she's now several yards down the road she turns around because she's sensing that maybe she needs to come back to the car as she makes her turn she sees that there is something behind her car and the first thing that came to her was there's a cop They're probably going to ticket me because I'm not supposed to be here at night. I better jog back. So she jogs back. She's jogging back. She's jogging back. And as she gets closer, and this is the only source of light, whatever it is, it's behind her car. Remember, the ignition is off on the car. Now she has the canal on her right side. She's got the trees on her left. She's approaching her vehicle. As she's approaching her vehicle, she realizes that what she thought were headlights of a car behind her were actually above her car. It was not behind the car. It was above her car. So now she's sensing, what do you sense? You know, trying to figure out what, what is this that I'm walking towards? She's alone. There's nobody else there. It's pitch dark except for this light. As she's approaching it, she realizes it's up in the air, right behind her car, a few yards up in the air. So now she's terrified. She's trying to click the car on, okay? The clicker isn't working. She pulls out the key that's inside the clicker, and as she's unlocking it, thank goodness the door opens, something appears a few feet in front of her, and suddenly it's like a nightmare, Everything is in slow-mo. It's approaching her. It's approaching her. She's standing by the open door of the driver's side. It's approaching her, and it reaches out with something like a wand. And then she blacks out. Anybody want to guess what she saw? Something with a wand. What's that? (laughs) Harry Potter. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's about seven feet tall. Unless it's big Bigfoot with a stick in his hand. Or, no, you know. no. It has been seen a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember relaying this to our state director, and he said, usually they're pretty benevolent, this type. The suspense and is killing me. It's an insectoid. Ah. So if you, you Google praying mantis. Mm, I know what they are. Well, they're... the way she described it to her boyfriend who told me, is that it looked exactly like a praying mantis, except it was much higher than she was. Much taller, I guess, is what she meant. It had the the same eyes, you know, the uh, multiple eyes. 
and then it extended a wand. And apparently as soon as it extended a wand, she felt like it touched her somehow. She woke up, it was 6 a.m. She was inside her car, the door was closed, her head was against the wheel. Mm -hmm. Now this is where it gets even stranger. So now she's disoriented, you know, birds are chirping, it's daylight. She's still alone, cars are passing, you know, people are going to work. She's still wearing her jogging outfit. And this is in the summer again. She comes out of the car to figure out what's going on. She had little scoop marks from the top of her knee all the way down to her ankles on both legs of equal distance all the way down. The skin wasn't broken. It wasn't bleeding. It was just a series of indentations. Hmm. We've heard this before, haven't we, Danny? I think so, yeah. Well, our, our, our former podcast host back mm-hmm. in the day, John, uh, right. he thinks that he was abducted and because he has these little scoop marks in a straight line on his leg and he doesn't know how they got there. He went to a couple of psychic mediums, didn't tell them anything about it. And they said, yeah, you've been abducted like a few times. Were and they on his knee and all the way down his legs? No, they were on his upper leg, I think, upper thigh. Like, And uh, I don't know how many of the, there are, but there was they were just like in a completely straight line. Yeah, straight line. Like these, like, just like you, when you, as soon as you said these little scoops out of his leg. Yeah. There's like, there's like four or five of them, I think. And uh, he always wondered, like, how the, like, where did these things come from? So it's interesting you said that. I'm curious if he went to the doctor, what the doctor said. Uh, well, it's funny. He discovered them, I think, when he was in the hospital. He's getting his tonsils removed or or something. And when he woke up, he had these, he, he noticed them. And he'd ask the nurse about it. He's like, 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 is this something that you guys do when you take tonsils out or whatever? And he was really, and the, and the nurse looked at it and she was like, I have no idea what that is. But there was no blood. There was no like scarring. It's just like these indentations, like, like someone had taken a little ice cream scoop and, and. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I guess, so- uh. Maybe John got abducted by an insectoid. You never know, right? That is interesting because she went to the doctor. Uh, He encouraged her to take, you know, go to a doctor and show the doctor. And um, the guy had no idea what they were. No. They were bleeding. They weren't infected. I mean, there was, they were just there. Do you still have contact with, do you have any contact with this woman? No, because she would not come forward. He took pictures of them, though, which we did put on the MUFON website. And, and you could see it's, they're like dimples, deep dimples. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what John had, too. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder if she, you know, if, if she ever went to a hypnotherapist and did like a, a regression and saw if, you know, she'd been that, abducted. That'd yeah, be, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because hmm. I, I think in this case, between the time at twilight, when it reached out to her, and then she woke up, she probably was gone that whole time. Yep. And you said that you reported it, or it was mm-hmm. reported, and so the director said that they, they, that they are seen in that area? Or that yeah, they're seeing insectoids, yes. Hmm. So I, I forget that there were a few incidents not in that particular park, though. Is there a military base close by? There was at the time, and then it closed. And it's probably, I'm trying to think, uh, I would 
say about 45 minutes away. Okay. There's a military base. Yeah. Because I was listening to another podcast, uh, and I think it was in Pennsylvania. Hmm. And it was about a, a trucker who'd been hired by the government to deliver supplies to this military base. And he had to like drive under a mountain, you know, these big steel doors opened up and, mm -hmm. and there was a gentleman that worked there who was like seven feet tall and really odd looking. And he said that he ran into him like out in the street somewhere at, a, at an event. And he, he said his, his, his facial features changed very quickly for a split second. And he said, it looked like a, a a praying mantis so and i think it was pennsylvania so maybe there's something going on out there maybe they maybe they have some uh i don't know caverns underground bases who knows there's, I, lot, I there's lots there's lots of stuff that we don't know about right tons and tons of odd things out there there is a lot of odd things and i'll tell you something there is an area here uh and and uh it's it's called second street that's the name of the road, Second What's Street Pike. And if you go down that road, it goes through a series of towns and then you eventually you pass this area where you get a very, very weird vibe is the only way I could describe. I can't put my finger on anything concrete. Mm. Uh, there is some kind of a base on the one side of the road and it's covered by grass. It's got high barbed wire fencing all around it, which is a clue that they're keeping people out or maybe keeping well, whatever is in there. From well, it is, it, is, it is a military base, so you're gonna expect to see fencing anywhere, right? Yeah. I don't know what it is, Dan. Hmm. I don't know that this one is a military base. Um, well, you, you should hop in your car tomorrow. <laughs> go bang, go bang on the gate. And say, hey, listen, yeah. <laughs> I need another topic for my next book. Yeah. So they probably will let me in, and then <laughs> yeah, we'll never, we'll never see you again. You'll never see me. I'll never come out. <laughs> you'll, you'll wake up in the woods somewhere, cuddled up with Bigfoot. Yeah, speaking of woods, that's what I did with the next book. That's a, that's a creepy one. Is this the one, the book, the way through the woods? Yeah, yeah. That's is, a, this, is this a fiction or nonfiction? This is nonfiction. Okay. I just wrote it like a novel, but it's, if you look in the back, there's pictures of the woman as a young girl. She didn't want her full name disclosed or anything like that. So I had to change her name, but the town is the town that she was in. Um, change the names of the parents. Uh, but if you go on Google Earth, you will see that the area that they walked through, there's still woods even today. No, this, this was in Germany during the war, right? Yeah, this is in Germany. We're talking from 19, well, I started the book in 1933, I believe. I don't even know what I wrote on it. Uh, I think it was like 1933, and it ended when the Russians came in. But during that time, they spent from April all the way into October, trying to hide in the woods of Germany. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is where the book gets very interesting. Uh, I won't give you any spoilers, obviously, but- um, But it, yes, does have it, a, is, it does have a paranormal twist to it, right? Yes, 
It is very, very supernatural. Um, the woman is alive today, which is how I got the story. And I'll tell you an interesting story about how this fell on my lap. These, these stories kind of like, I don't look for them per se. And people think, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're getting a lot coming at you. And, and they do. Um, I don't even have to go on Facebook to find them. If you, if you were to go on Google Earth, if you wish to go on Google Earth, aim at Frankfurt and then northwest of Frankfurt, you will see a strip of land that's covered literally by woods. It's nothing but greener. There it goes again. <laughs> I this love it. This thing. This is fabulous. Because we can hear everybody else. Something doesn't want us. Can you hear us? Animal? Yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> every every so, time you tell the story, it keeps <laughs> Every every time you start to talk, it, it the spirit oh the, the ghosts are shutting you down. <laughs> Don't so say may, that. Dan. Maybe maybe we'll just have to say go on Amazon. Okay. <laughs> find Anna, Anna Maria Manalo, M A N A L O. Find okay. The way through the woods and the portal. And uh, I'm sure they're fantastic reads. I think uh, I, I think I'm going to have to get at least one of them. I think the way through the woods sounds sounds interesting, right up my alley. If you like war and you want to see people trying to save themselves and survive, woods, this is a 14 year old kid that basically only had a wicker basket on her and some semblance of a pack. Uh, you know, no headgear. Foot gear was basically dress boots. Just to give you an idea, back in the day. That's how she went through, I think it was like four, six months. Anna Maria Manello. Yes. Th thank you so much for being on the Phantom Faction podcast. Poor, poor Danny's got a lot of editing to do to, to see <laughs> if he can uh, maneuver his way through these interruptions. We're going to call them these paranormal interruptions. And like, like we said before, there's nothing new to the, the Phantom Faction podcast. Uh, Anna, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or find your books, uh, how are they going to go about that? Uh, to get a hold of me, uh, I'm on Facebook under the same name. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, the books are both on Amazon. All they have to do is either type my name or type the title. Uh, I think it also comes out when you type a cult. That I'm not sure of, but I think under paranormal nonfiction, occult. All right. And Rachel, you quiet as usual, but you've been patiently taking some notes there, I think. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been just taking some notes here. been picking up some stuff and I wrote it down and I was laughing a, a little bit ago too, just because how you said people just come to you. And that's basically one of the things I wrote down here. So I got that you are an incredible person and uh, well, you have an incredible con um, accomplishments too. Right off the hop from you, I got that you're type person that holds your head high. You're very self-assert and enthusiastic. You kind of have this can do attitude, but you can do anything you want with a smile on your face type of thing. I try. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I got that you have the gift of being approachable and that um, it's like you shine from your heart and people feel comfortable coming to you and talking to you. They feel comfortable being around you. I feel like this is a blessing that you have, a, a very spiritual insight blessing. So thank you. <laughs> you're remarkable. You're also blessed with many things to do. Um, I keep getting like, you're very busy. There's always little things that you can keep yourself busy with. So um, you're supposed to keep following your heart and feel free to try something new or new idea. Awesome. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a bunch of new ideas. I do. I do. And uh, one recently came up to me uh, to talk about her story. And this one, she wants her name known, her real name. So I said, okay, I look forward to that. You know, if you've got an unusual story to tell, certainly I welcome all of them. Uh, and, I, and I think it's a pleasure to listen because, you know, when you're listening, you learn more than when you're talking. Although I talk a lot, if you notice. We uh, love talkers, especially on podcasts, <laughs> right? That's good. That's great. Anything else we need to know before we sign off? I've got a couple of books upcoming, but I always welcome people to write me if they have an unusual story. Uh, and, and that one, uh, they can email to me. Uh, either on private messenger on Facebook, or they can email email it to me at cinescriber, C-I-N-E-S-C-R-I-B-E-R, like scribe, scriber, at gmail.com. So either way, I will consider their stories. The next time I compile them, they get a free book. <laughs> All righty. And check out okay. Beyond, Beyond the Fray Publishing. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.